It's uh, good to be with everyone this evening. My name is Joseph Bianco, and I want to welcome you to City Reform Presbyterian Church. Um, if you're new here, this is our evening service. Uh, we also have a morning service, and that's at Winchester Thurston uh, School in Shadyside. I've been a church plant. Well, we're not a church plant anymore. We started as a church plant uh, 19 years ago, uh, and then very soon we'll be celebrating 20 years. And uh, we've been preaching through the book of Acts. And so today we're in Acts chapter 3. And I will, uh, I'll pray first, and then we'll hear the reading of God's word, and our response will be thanks be to God. So uh, let me begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, sit under uh, your word as we hear it read and as um, I preach on it. And Lord, we recognize that it is only your spirit uh, that can change hearts and lives. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that we would be attentive to your spirit as we read your word and um, that we would open our hearts uh, to be changed by your Holy Spirit, uh, made more and more into the image of Christ. And, um, and that we would uh, learn, Father, to uh, put to death, Lord, our sin and to love your righteousness. Uh, bless this word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our reading is from uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. This is page 6 of your bulletin. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when you decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, 
have made this man strong, whom you see and know in the faith who through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the word of the Lord. So I have this um, pastor friend of mine, um, and he showed remarkable love uh, for his children. Um, So I don't remember the exact illness of his youngest child, but when he was born, this child, he had a a severe breathing problem. My pastor friend had to stay up uh, with his child every night for the first couple of nights that he was alive, every night to help his baby breathe. Uh, The child had to be in a particular position so that his airway wouldn't become constricted. And if it did become constricted, which it it would several times a night, he'd have to reposition the baby uh, so the baby could breathe again. And so he and his wife would trade off nights for the first two years of the life of their baby. Now, I love my children, and of course I would do anything for my children. Um, But when I first heard this story that he shared... Uh, my thoughts did not go to God's faithfulness or care. Um, but my own heart went to criticism, thoughts of how horrible that would be to have to stay up every night for, for two years. He's so sleep deprived. Or, or why is God putting this godly family through this trial? Or just feeling sad for the baby? And I was generally impressed with my friend's uh, response to his situation. He expressed a difficulty. Uh, But he also expressed hope and perseverance and trust in Jesus as he went through it. And as I was reflecting on this passage, there's a bit of a parallel between the father uh, and the sick child with God and the lame beggar. And that is that when we read about the lame beggar, I think there's a temptation we have, if we're honest in our hearts, uh, to criticize or judge someone that is lame or disabled. Now, obviously, we wouldn't feel this way about a baby in the story I just mentioned. But uh, before I was diagnosed with my own autoimmune disease, um, I would think things like, uh, you know, so-and-so must be sick because they just didn't take care of themselves. Or when we look at someone that's sick, we often wonder, why are they sick? I wonder what happened. We think maybe they made, made a mistake or they must have made a poor decision in their past. I want you to notice something about how Peter uh, treats this sick man. Um, So notice Peter treats the sick and the healthy almost opposite of what our instincts would be. Peter gives dignity to the beggar and indicts the crowd. He lays out their sin that they murdered Jesus. Friends, the contrast we have of these pictures is a warning to us. We have a father, a heavenly father who loves us, who would do anything for us far more than stay up for two nights when we were infants so we could breathe. And yet when, some, when we see someone sick or see someone struggling, our hearts tend to judgment rather than mercy. We don't see ourselves as sinners because we're able, we're healthy, we're thriving. What God wants us to see in this passage is that the lame beggar is actually in the place of exaltation. And the crowd is in the place of humiliation. In this scene, the lame beggar is the one who's closest to God. And it is all because of the work of Jesus. 
and no one else. From the beggar, we learn the humility that faith in Jesus requires. So I want to look at this text through three lessons we learn from the beggar. The first is faith in the name of Jesus. The second is a humble faith. And then the third is faith while suffering. So let's begin with uh, faith in the name of Jesus. So, you know, there's a real danger um, in what is called the heresy of proof texting. Maybe that's something you've heard before. The heresy of proof texting is where you take a phrase uh, or a passage out of the Bible and you make it mean something other than the author intended it to mean and not include the context. So I want you to look, for example, in verse 6. Verse 6, if you took it alone, says, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, if you were to take this verse out of the context of the passage, it would seem like uh, it was by the power of Peter, right, that this lame man was healed. It sounds like Peter is saying, I don't have money, but I have the power to heal, so be healed. But when we read the rest of the text, we learn who really healed this man. And it was not Peter. It was Jesus. The text goes out of the way to make explicit that Peter and John do not want the attention on themselves, but they want all the attention to go to Jesus. Verse 12, Peter says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? So it's not the power of Peter, but the power of Jesus through Peter who heals this man. And then it's made explicit in verse 16. And by, in his name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. That is the name of Jesus. And faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So the reason that this is important the apostles, and the reason it is still important today is because there is a strong temptation to think this passage is about the amount of faith you have. Or thinking that a mere human has this divine power to heal you. And friends, if the apostles themselves say, not I, but Jesus, then we have to listen carefully to this story when we look to anything other than Jesus to save us. We all come from different backgrounds, but uh, many of you have been involved or know someone, perhaps, in the faith healing movement. Um, So faith healers are tied to the prosperity gospel. Um, The ideas go hand in hand, uh, that if we just have enough faith, God will heal us. Or if we just have enough faith, God will bless us financially. That's why it's coined the health and wealth gospel. But church family, I want you to look at your own hearts for a minute. What is so tempting, so dangerously tempting about the health and wealth gospel? Why is it so seductive? In the health and wealth gospel, if my healing is dependent on my faith or my wealth upon my obedience, then it is no longer the gospel of grace, but me being good enough or working hard enough We're acting holy enough, trying to will enough faith. I am the one that becomes, has the power. I'm the one in control. 
Do you see that temptation? If the solution to the healing of the lame man is in the apostles or the amount of faith that the beggar has, then our health and our wealth become something that we can control. You know, maybe I can find more holy people to go to to heal me. Or maybe I can do a lot of good actions so God gives me what I want to have. Or maybe I can manipulate my life to create this appearance of righteousness so that God will give me the blessings I've been asking for. And here's the worst part. And I, know, I know you've done this because I've done this too. When we see a lame beggar on the road or the equivalent, our hearts indict them. We come up with reasons in our mind why they are beggars. Well, it must be because maybe they're bad people or they did bad things or maybe they're not smart or they're heathens or whatever the countless condemning things could be. Do you see the problem? Peter's saying to the crowd, it's not magic. I'm not a sorcerer or a magician. There's nothing special about me. And this lame man who is healed, he has no merits to be healed. It is all the work of Jesus. It is all because of the name of Jesus. It is all the power of Jesus to heal. So I want you to listen, and this is very important. Faith then becomes the instrument by which the man is healed. Faith becomes the instrument by which the man is healed. The scalpel does not heal. Not on its own. It heals only under the careful hand of the physician. It doesn't matter how many scalpels you have. You only need one sharp knife to make the cut under the careful hand of Jesus. Now, look, I know many of you are not faith healers here or into faith healing, but I know many of us can have judgmental, controlling hearts. And it can be scary to trust God and to recognize that the things that feel out of control in my life are in the secure hands of God. But the hands of God are really the only safe place for those things to be. Now, of course, I'm not saying, obviously, to not go to the doctor, pursue medicine when you need it or when you need to seek help. But even as you beg God for help, even as we are like the lame beggar, where are we ultimately looking for help? Is it the doctor or the doctor of doctors? Is it the medicine or the great physician? Is it temporary fixes or the one who heals body and soul? It can feel scary when you give control to God. When you humble yourself like a beggar. But it's the only way that God can truly heal you. Physically and spiritually. And so this leads us to our second point, that we have to have a humble faith. After Peter heals the man, the people are amazed. Uh, this is verse 11. They're utterly astounded. And they're abuzz with excitement. The lame uh, beggar is clinging to Peter as if he were a god. And the people are wondering, who is this man who can heal a lame man? And, and Peter immediately recognizes the problem. And he kills two birds with one stone. He takes the opportunity to preach. And he takes the opportunity to point them to Jesus for physical and spiritual healing. I find verses 13 to 15 very abrupt. 
you know, Peter performs this uh, amazing miracle, and then it feels like in the next breath, he is indicting the crowds for murdering Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is probably not how I would preach. I just don't think people would receive it very well. Peter doesn't lead with the grace of Christ. He leads with indictment. First, he points to Jesus as having the power, and then he says, this Jesus, you put to death. And his language is really strong. Verse 14, he says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Um, now, here is the beauty and hope of preaching, friends. We read later in chapter 4, verse 4, that 5,000 people came to faith because of Peter's preaching. Uh, I'm sure a lot more was said than was, was recorded here, but this is what is recorded. This is what we have. You're all murderers. You killed the author of life. You denied the holy and righteous one. It's as if he's crying, look what sin has done to you. Look where your sin leads. It leads to suicide, to killing the very thing that gives you life. Friends, if anyone says to you, why don't you just preach about the happy parts of Christianity, about grace and kindness and forgiveness and love, if someone says that, I want you to point them to this passage in the sermon by Peter. Peter understands that there is no grace unless you understand why God is being so gracious. You have to know the depth of your sin in order to understand the height of God's grace. You have to be told the weight of your transgression to understand how God would remove such a weight and put it on his own back. You have to know that your father stayed awake for the first two years of your life so you could breathe because he loved you that much. Brothers and sisters, we have to first understand ourselves as having murdered and denied so that we can see God as the giver of life and the lover of truth. I mentioned before the temptation to convict and control. Well, here's the truth. People don't want to hear about their sin because it hurts. It hurts to be told, I'm a sinner. I have problems. I'm judgmental and unkind and unloving. That when I hate someone, I've murdered them in my heart. That every time I sin, I functionally deny Jesus. I say no to Jesus, and that's hard to hear. And it's much easier to control that narrative, to cast blame or to trade fault. But Peter does not let that happen. Peter sees the opportunity, he heals a lame man, and then he looks at this large Jewish crowd at this temple court, and he indicts them. And 5,000 people come to faith. It's amazing. Just as it was not the power of Peter to heal, it was not the words of Peter to save. Rather, going back to Acts chapter 2, it was the power of God's Spirit. Friends, there is great news for you and me in sharing the gospel with other people. Don't be afraid. Share the whole gospel. Not just that Jesus is Savior, but also that he comes to wipe away your sins. You need both parts. And then trust Jesus to save. Trust Jesus to heal. 
Because it is only by the name of Jesus that salvation comes. I hope that encourages you to be courageous in sharing the gospel. Because it's not ultimately up to you. God will use the messiness of your words. You have only to be faithful in sharing the whole gospel. But this requires a humility. I want you to notice who's exalted in the passage. Is it all the people going to the temple for prayer? All the holy people? No, they're the ones indicted and the beggar is the one exalted. We don't come to God like the holy people. We come to God as a beggar. If you find it hard to come to God, it is possible, according to Peter's sermon, that your own pride is what is preventing you. Is that you don't come like the beggar, willing and ready to receive in a humble position. But you come hating the truth that your sins indict you. I find it loving and comforting that Peter and John look into the eyes of the beggar. Because where everyone else sees a man to pity, they see a man to dignify and to love. They don't condemn the man, they offer him healing. Friends, if anyone brings their sin, even today, in shame, in their true self to Jesus, he will not condemn you. He will heal you. But you only have to come to him. So we looked at faith in the name of Jesus, a humble faith, and then I want to look at faith when suffering. So one aspect of this text that you may have missed uh, is the absence of God's healing for this lame man. We don't get it actually until chapter 4, verse 22, where we learn that this man who was healed was over 40 years old. So that means for 40-some years of his life, this man suffered. This beginning of our text says that he was carried daily to the beautiful gate to beg, to ask for alms. And it was the right place to beg because if you're going to the temple for prayer, uh, you were perhaps more apt to give. And I learned the beautiful gate was a beautiful brass gate. It stood 75 feet tall. So to give you a comparison, I would guess the ceiling in this room is maybe 30 feet. But there was this humble beggar, face down, palms up, begging at this massive brass gate towering over him. And the text says that he was lame from birth. And so this man spent his whole life begging at the temple gate. And I bet he wondered, where's God? Am I ever going to be healed? Why doesn't he heal me? Does he hear my prayers? Have I done something or have my parents done something that I was born lame? And it sounds a lot like another passage in the Bible, doesn't it? It sounds like John 9, where there was a man who was born blind. And they asked Jesus, was it this man or his parents who sinned? And Jesus says, John 9, verse 3, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was not a mistake that this man here was born lame, but that the power of God would be displayed in him. And here's why this is so important, and I'll tell you a story. Um, I had gone to try to see a Christian counselor about eight months ago, and I had a horrible experience. Um, I had this reference of this well-qualified counselor, and uh, one of the things I wanted to work on was my own health. 
Um, I mentioned earlier, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in 2011, and I've, I've wrestled with that ever since. And I told the counselor, I, I said, I know I'm a pastor, but I want you to feel free to, you know, challenge me biblically or theologically. I said, that's fine. And so the first thing we start talking about is my health. And he says, have you ever read anything by this author? And I, I didn't know the name of the author. So I said, no. And he said, well, have you ever considered uh, that in the book of Job, that the reason Job was suffering was because of his sin? And I paused and I thought to myself, is this man saying that my illness is because of my sin? And I, I looked at him and I said, well, you know, the, being a pastor, I said, well, you know, the whole point of the book of Job is not that Job was suffering because of his sin, but that the whole point was that he was a blameless, righteous man and that God allowed Satan to test Job. So we go back and forth and when the session ends, he sends me this email by a guy named Keith Moore. And I find out that my Christian counselor is a health and wealth prosperity guy. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I want you to know what it feels like to walk into a counselor's office for help. And without knowing me, he tells me the reason I've been suffering with my illness is because of my sin. Now, luckily, I'm a pastor, so I know better. <laughs> But imagine someone walking in who doesn't know the Bible. They're immediately met with condemnation. For 40 years, this man, this man was lame and he begged at the gate. For 40 years, he was not healed. And then all of a sudden, it was his time to be healed. We don't know anything about his faith other than he had faith in Jesus and that was enough. It wasn't this man's sin that caused him to be lame, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Friends, if you're here today and you're, you're sick, or if you have an illness or a disease, do you know how I can say with confidence that God is not condemning you? Because of Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you, you are not condemned. The cost has been paid, and the debt has been removed. There are so many tempting opportunities in this life for you to heap condemnation on yourself because of that temptation to control, that temptation to be judgmental, even to yourself, but how can you judge yourself if God has removed his judgment from you? How can you condemn yourself or another if Jesus does not condemn you? If you are ill or you're struggling with sickness, you need to hear this. The point of the weakness we experience in this life is not condemnation, but that the power of God would be displayed in us. Now, can God use illness or trial to shape us and mold us? Absolutely. But if he is in us and we are in him, he no longer condemns. So look, if you're new to Christianity or you're interested in Christianity, Christianity may surprise you. is not about having a perfect life. If anything, your life may become harder. You may receive more persecution. 
You may find it challenging to love and serve difficult people. You will wrestle and you'll fight temptations in this world of comfort and health and wealth. But what I can tell you is that while Christian, the Christian life is not a comfortable life, it is a life full of purpose and meaning and seeing the power of God displayed in weakness and foolishness. The Christian life is a life that points to Christ. It's a life free from condemnation and shame. It's a life full of joy. It's a joy that remains in the midst of sorrow. I want to encourage you with this. God cares both physically for the lame beggar and spiritually. He'll provide you with what you need in this life, and he'll fill your heart with the joy of the Holy Spirit. But he will work in his timing. Forty years he suffered. And I just want to I just want to read a few verses about God's timing and we'll close. Ecclesiastes 3:11. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Galatians 4, 4 to 5, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Acts 1, 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates for the, the father is set by his own authority. And then lastly, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. 40 years is a long time to wait. And for some of us, we may not see healing until we meet Jesus face to face, but it will come. Until then, we have to learn the lesson of the beggar. Jesus exalts the humble, and he will humble the exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, perhaps uh, because it's just significant in my own life, I pray that anyone here tonight who feels condemnation would turn to Jesus and know that they are free. Whether it's illness or shame or sickness or trial. Father, our, we can say it is well with our soul because of the work of Christ. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would make that clear. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.